are live. Hello to all my guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to Knights of Paintown, a City of Mist actual play podcast. I am your lovely master of ceremonies, Mikey. You can find me on all of the social medias, specifically the Twitters, TikToks, and Instagram at PopCultureGeek. And at the time of this recording, you can also follow us at the D&D Vibe Tribe Productions on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. More social media sites will be incorporated as we go along, but you can officially find us all there. Give us a follow to stay up to date with all these amazing upcoming projects we got going on. I am super excited tonight to be leading my amazing cast through the beginning of the Knights of Pain Town game with their first case. Oh man, months of planning has gone into this and I'm so excited as a game master, as the master of ceremonies to finally be running the beginning of the mystery. But of course, I cannot do this all by myself. What is a master of ceremonies without their cast? So we, before we get into tonight's adventure, I would like my players to introduce themselves, plug any projects or social medias they got going on, then we will jump into the story properly. I'm West. No social media to plug it right now, but I am playing Mac and going to cause as much mayhem as I can every single time. Sorry. I love it. And for the listening audience, what is your mythos? Uh, Suranos, the great horned one. So have some fun with that, I think. Guten Tag and hello, Alizak. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Josh, a.k.a. MG Preacher on TikTok. And now you can also follow me on Instagram at uh, MG Preacher Mark Two. That's M- uh, MG Preacher MK dot II. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where this session is going to go. So I'm, I'm going to shut up now. And for our lovely listeners, Josh, can you tell us who you will be playing and what their mythos is? Yes, I can. As soon as I get my brain to function and I can remember my character's name. <laughs> but uh, I will be playing Friedrich Krupp, a police uh, canine handler. And my mythos is none other than the guardian of the underworld, Cerberus. Awesome. We have one more player that will be joining us tonight, but he will introduce himself a little bit later in the episode. But with all that out of the way, let the tale begin. To recap what happened last episode, we got a nice little glimpse inside the lives of all our characters. We got to see a little bit of our ex-Irish mobster, Corey O'Reilly go about, pick up a couple of odd jobs and information from a local jazz bar from Isabel. He had a little bit of reminiscing once he saw a billboard of Phantom of the Opera. Had a battle with a billboard post, which was interesting, which led to a brief foot chase between him and a family friend of his, Officer Parker, before culminating his time 
out on the town, arriving home with his two daughters, tucking them into bed, and seeing that not all is peaceful and copacetic in the O'Reilly household, given that one of the daughters is awakened to the mist and one is a sleeper and unaware of the potential to see through everything. We also got to see our lovable construction worker, Mac, as he had a brief conversation with his boss, Tony, and being able to set up Tony's daughter with a surprise concert from his girlfriend, who happens to be the lead singer of Pain Town's biggest music act currently, Hep Alien. <laughs> After leaving and getting ready and having a nice little conversation with the flower shop owner, Mrs. Yu, Mac made his way to the concert in which his girlfriend and lead singer of Hep Alien, Jean, finished off the world tour. And after a brief conversation, she and Mac went out to a nice dinner date afterwards. And then finally, we got a glimpse at Friedrich our canine police officer at Styx Avenue Precinct, where he was introduced to his new canine partner. We had an interesting bet going on with some officer named Ramirez <laughs> about whether he was going to get mauled or not by this dog. And then we got a glimpse at the inner workings of Friedrich's friends, Officer Dawes, and then Officer Quinn. And they had a nice little night out on the town as well, going to a local jazz bar for a concert where Friedrich happened to see an interesting sight outside of the club with the singer of the concert consoling one of the patrons that had attended before going back in and also having a conversation with Officer Dawes and getting a taste and a glimpse of what lies beyond the mist when she activated her mythos right in front of him. We ended last episode with a cliffhanger of sorts. A young man at the Natural History Museum of Paintown nosing through a book and realizing that he needs to call them and let them know about what's going on. So the night passes peacefully as all of our crew is tucked away in their beds, some of them keeping warm with some company, others just getting some rest in terms of being able to just fall asleep peacefully with the events that transpired that night before. But as the silence of night passes through, the burning light that is the sun begins to creep over the horizon to signal that the night's rest is over and that life in the city continues to return to its normal state of hustle and bustle. The camera, after taking in a couple of seconds of getting a nice view of Paint Town in that brief moment of silence between night and day, it crawls out of the horizon and pushing through all of the residents of Pain Town, getting up and having their morning routines, the camera begins to pan over to a familiar apartment 
Mrs. Yu is opening up her flower shop for the day, watering the plants, organizing her stall, and that camera passes by her into the apartment building where after going up the stairwell and pushing through, it shows us a glimpse of Mac's apartment. <laughs> so, Mac, you are currently sleeping in your bed. And though most of the time it's just you wake up this morning very happy to find that Jean, who coaxed her way into convincing you to have her spend the night, <laughs> is just laying there silently and just sleeping. So <laughs> what day of the week is it? Let's see. I'll say that the day of the week, you guys had a night out on a Friday. So I'll say this is early Saturday it's morning. A, I was going to say you said it was school day tomorrow in my thing. Eh, time is a relevant construct, but we'll say continuity. that trying to fix continuity. <laughs> Before we continue on with that, Mac, we have our third player for tonight. So, Echo, if you would like to introduce yourself to the listening audience and who you're playing and their mythos. Sorry, everyone. I'm late a little bit. This is Echo, a.k.a. Corey O'Reilly, the character. And I can be found, and I'm playing the deity of Dagda, Albert the Albert, Albert the Albert on Twitch. I'm sorry, people. And I pass it on. (laughs) Excellent. So returning to our scene, Mac, you're currently still in bed. Jean is wearing essentially one of your extra large (laughs) t-shirts as she typically does when she invades your apartment. Yeah, so... This actually is an interesting question. What does Mac's normal morning routine look like? Depends on if he's going to work or not. If he's going to work, it's normally panic. I'm late. Getting dressed, running down the stairwell, and getting in the car and driving to work. If it's a weekend, it's just a really lazy wake up. No rush for nothing. (laughs) And since there's a company in here today, there is really no rush. For anything he's just gonna take his good sweet time waking up <laughs> we love to see it so i will say for the sake of it you do have to go to work today but eh, i'm sure tony wouldn't mind if you're just a little bit late especially given the favor that you're gonna do for him in regards to gene and his daughter so i'm pretty sure you can make something work <laughs> Central cognitive machine that can't go without me. Boy, Mac, as you wake up, that you have to work later today, but finally being able to have Gene back physically in your life after being away for quite a few number of months being on world tour, the feeling and the understanding that she's going to be here for a couple of months before getting back into the swing of things with her music and potentially starting the next album recording, you're filled with a sense of peace and a sense of joy as you realize that all that time spent apart, you'll be able to make up for it for quite a while now as you are in this blissful state of mind It is suddenly shattered 
by the ringing of an annoying alarm clock <laughs> as you turn and see that it is your normal wake up time that when you have to be up for work. <laughs> he fumbles across, slap it at the alarm, make it quiet, try not to wake her up. Fails <laughs> miserably, knocks it on the floor. Tries to get up without waking her up. Tries to get all the bed, get dressed, get ready to go in. So I will say that you get up, you start getting dressed, and as you are halfway through that, you hear the angelic mumbling of Jean as she sits up in your bed, rubbing her eyes, looking at you, still trying to come out of that fog in between when you're half asleep, but you're trying to wake up as well. And she just lazily blinks at you and without saying a word, just smiles and just gives a subtle wave of a good morning to you. Feel free to run. Do what you need around the place. I don't... If my place is your place, and I have a funny feeling I'm going to be working late tonight, but... I may catch the flu halfway through work today so I can come see you early. So we'll see how that goes. No promises. Jean gingerly gets out of the bed, still rubbing her eyes as she walks up towards you. Just without saying anything, wraps her arms around you and just says, Now, don't shriek your duties just for me. I will be here when you return, so there's no need. Plus... The wait will be worth it. In that case, I'm going to be going to work. I'm going to work my arse off, and I'll be coming home with the, uh, with a smile and expectations. No, no, no questions asked. She lazily laughs as she's still trying to fully awake, and she, she okay. Weird question, but she's shorter than you. We've established this, correct? <laughs> okay. So, then in that case. She stands on her tippy toes and she just gives you a kiss on the cheek before she turns around, walks out of the bedroom and heads towards the living room slash kitchen area since this is like an apartment flat. So those two things are combined. And as you are finishing getting dressed, you hear the sounds of Jean just in the kitchen, making some food, cooking up breakfast and as we take in that scene, the camera kind of pulls out from there, passes through Pain Town, and finds its way to a very nice and upscale housing unit, where the camera kind of pushes in through the side window, and it stops on a one Corey O'Reilly. So, Corey, what are you currently doing this morning? Corey is making some cinnamon French bread because one of his daughters asked him to, to make something cinnamon for breakfast. He's going to uphold that. And this yeah. goes with, and this would, uh, this tag would come into play. Kiss the chef. All right. Just, let's see how well you make this. Let's see how oh, well you make this. I should, Oh, I have to roll down? Oh, I shouldn't have said anything. Dang it. <laughs> like, I wasn't going to say anything, but hey, you brought it up, so let's see what happens. I'm going to do... 
I know this is abusing the fact of Wave the Trade, but I'm going to use it for this. Because <laughs> he's been doing this for a while, so he wouldn't know how to make this. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna. T I'm gonna take the and kiss the chef. I'm going to add this secret show toots because he's singing to himself while he cooks. Okay. And I, so. And was... then the weakness tag of maybe double life. Your call. So here's what I'll say for all that. So kiss the chef definitely will apply. The show tunes is just a great image, so I will. I'm okay with that. Ways of the trade, to me, is more ah. based in his ex, like his life as an ex mobster. That so, is fine. So I will not include that, but that weakness tag, I will say, the weakness tag doesn't apply here, so you don't have to invoke it. Okay. So you still get a plus two to this roll. Thirteen. Why is this my luck now? A Buddy. terrible morning, and then this happens. <laughs> All right. So with a 13. Now, Corey, a lot of this has uh, your skills of being a Single great at-home chef. You have made enough meals for your daughters. And while at first, when you first started this venture, weren't necessarily yielding the best results, you have fine-tuned and honed your skill set as like with anything that came being a part of the mob. You learn to grow and you learn to enhance your skills through practice. So this recipe is like second nature to you. And in a flurry of mixing the batter and pouring it into the, the stove, everything is just seamless. And sure enough, within the span of about half an hour, 45 minutes, the final product is complete as you are topping this off with the finishing garments. We'll say whipped cream and a little couple pieces of fruit or the plating of all said. For a home cooked meal, this could possibly rival some of the more high end restaurants around Pain Town. Hey, if anything, you have a future of owning a restaurant at some point. <laughs> One. It's called a bar. <laughs> that is true. So I won't argue with that one. But at this point, Corey, as you are finishing plating the plates for you and your daughters, you have a brief moment of silence to yourself as that kind of in-between silence when you're the only person who's awake in the house and just waiting in anticipation for everyone else to fill the house with just life and that energy that comes from having a household of individuals living with you. So as you are sitting there in that brief moment of silence, you glance over to the countertop where other than your completed dishes you also see a couple of frames and you see a couple of photographs encased in these frames now obviously a there's a lot of them with you and your daughter but then one photo catches your eye and as you stare at it it is a wedding picture of you and your wife and in the moment of silence before your daughters awaken 
you just spend that time looking at the photo and just thinking about all the things that both of you went through and how much joy that your daughters brought to you when she told you that they were going to be born. On him at that moment, it's a melancholic smile. There, There is joy in there, but there's also the sadness of losing someone you loved. Before you get a chance to allow that melancholiness to protrude your mind, and more importantly, protrude your heart, from upstairs, you hear the sounds of two sets of shuffling feet making their way from the second floor hallway, and you hear the pitter-patter of teenage feet briskly racing down the stairs. And once those sounds come a lot closer from the corner of the kitchen where the stairs are currently located, you see your two daughters in their pajamas just excitedly walking towards you. So your youngest, Eowyn, and your oldest, Winnie, they see the plates on the counter and without saying a word, they joyfully rush up to the countertop struggle a little bit to get to the high-end kind of tall chairs that are at the countertop but without an f without too much effort they just sit there patiently waiting and look at you in anticipation your daughters just smile they take their plates and all three of you enjoy a nice morning together, enjoying breakfast, especially since it is a dish that their mother and your wife created as a nice little memory and commemorating the special family time that you guys would have before all of you left for your daily routines. The camera hands away from this lovely scene gently flies through the city of Paintown as more of the denizens begin to finish up their morning routines many of them leaving their apartments their houses all sorts of living units and either by subway by car by taxi they all begin to walk the streets and begin making their way to wherever it is they're going some their jobs, some are going to school, others just walking around. And as the camera catches all this life in abundance throughout the various streets and sidewalks of Paint Town, the camera finds its way to a familiar precinct, funny enough, aptly located on Styx Avenue. And as the camera pushes into the Styx Avenue precinct, we see three familiar police officers in the locker room getting ready for the day. So after having a very nice evening out on the town, Friedrich, you, Officer Daz, and Officer Quinn are all just together reminiscing about the night before. And while most of it was 
okay, it was different. Most of you guys have never been to a jazz show like that before. You reminisce of how much fun you had. That, I tell you about you two, that was definitely different. It was actually good to get out. Usually after my shift, I'm usually just going home. I'm glad you guys decided to ask me to go with you. Although, that singer, that's just, that was just beer. Anyways. At this point, as you by this point, I'm grabbing a thermos that I had <laughs> on the bench and had a thermos full of coffee. I don't know. I can't sing slate without my coffee first. Take it. Take a long Mira's drink. Mira's just in the back. Maybe it's Mira's just in the back. Maybe it's love. Ramirez is just. It's love. No one asked you. <laughs> ask you no one asked me. Yes, no one asked me. I mostly only do research on your criminals in the background, but no one cares what Ramirez thinks, and he just walks away. You, you so at this point, I did that out with no canine. Get going, Ramirez. Get going. So after this brief little scene, Officer Dawes begins. So she has her uniform on. The last thing that she's putting on is her gungat, which, just as a reminder, because of her cultural ancestry, she is a woman that is of kind of Indian background from the country of India. So it is the special head wrap that most men and women wear as a formal thing. So it's more of a cultural than a religious kind of origin for her. But as she's putting the finishing touches and putting it on top of her head, Officer Quinn is the first, as always, to put on his stuff. And as Officer Quinn is beginning to walk to the door, in a low, hushed tone, Officer Dawes approaches you, Friedrich, and she says, You didn't tell Officer Quinn about what I showed you last night, correct? Honestly, do you think he would have believed me anyways? I'm still believing what I saw. No. I Just making sure it's not a matter of me not trusting you with this information but just more so to show you that what you saw with your new canine partner the, yesterday wasn't just all in your head, especially the transformation of those eyes becoming red and sh that shadowy smoke. You said not everyone can see this? No, not everyone. I don't know the specific reasons behind it, but my grandmother, she would always tell me when I was younger that some people perceive the world differently. Some are just only able to see the surface level of everything. But those who have been awakened or have been blessed or in certain cases cursed by whatever it is, some are able to perceive what lies beyond that veil and is able to see things the way that they truly are and that's one of the reasons why I became a police officer I've always wanted to protect and serve the people of my community and I was inspired from my grandmother who was the protector and head of her village back in India so every summer when I went to go visit her just watching her take charge and do what needs to be done in the rural villages outside of the main cities as tough as it was from time to time it was something that was awe-inspiring 
and thus it made me want to do the same, but in my own way. Then on top of that, learning that I was able to see beyond what most cannot, it just made me realize that this line of work is more important than just protecting those who can't see. It's to make sure that those who are able to see do so in a manner that doesn't bring harm and doesn't bring chaos into those lives to of those who cannot perceive the world for what it is. And she just drifts off a little bit in a couple of seconds of silence before looking back and matching your gaze, Friedrich. And now that you have awakened to that, just be prepared because things are about to get a lot more interesting for you. I can only... But don't worry. Just remember, Friedrich, you're not alone in this. We can't talk about this with a lot of people. But you have me. And I'm sure that your little friends that you associate with from time to time, too. They understand who you are as well. And she gives you a wink. Tell me a little And I say this, I, Look, I just kind of chuckle. Me, you, and Quinn over there, we've been together for at least two years now. And I may have coaxed Quinn with his inquisitive mind and his sharp perception to do a little digging when we first met, but don't worry. Your secret is safe with me. As long as your friends treat you right, they won't have any issues. But I do warn you, if they make you cry, if they hurt your feelings, if they bring harm to you in any form, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, I have no problem setting them straight. And in a quick flash, her eyes once again start to glow really quickly of that orange glow with the mandala patterns coming over the pupils with a piece of that orangey armor wrapping around her hand, forming the shape of a gauntlet before quickly dissipating it and her eyes going back to their normal hazel brown color and just looks at you t and just gives you a nod. I'm gonna, you're going to have to teach me how to do that. That's just cool. And saying that, I, uh, I finished putting my uniform on. I put my gun belt on and I, I keep a little brooch that my mother had, that little Edelweiss brooch. I take that and I, I just put it in one of my pockets and then I shut my locker. But anyways, you ready? Another day here in Paint Town. I'm always ready to see what we kind of stuff and mischief we can get into. Alright, well. So at that point, both of you make your way out of the locker room. You exit and are joined by Officer Quinn, who has been patiently waiting for you. Doesn't say much, just gives you a smile and nod. And the three of you get about a couple of steps in the direction of your desks before Officer Ramirez comes bellowing from the hallway about the captain wanting to see you. Captain wants you guys. Not my fault. I'm innocent. Uh, I do not uh, have to deal with this today. Sure. I, I swear to God that this is somehow going to bite me in the butt later on today. I was just about to do something. 
Captain. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck. As he as he pulls out a toothpick and just starts chewing it as he walks away. I love how <laughs> Officer Ramirez has become our NPC that we're playing <laughs> together. <laughs> I'd love to see it. But after Officer Ramirez just gadaddles and goes back to what he was doing previously, Officer Quinn looks at you and Officer Dawes and after a brief sigh says, I don't recall us doing anything we weren't supposed to. And we already made up for it when we pulled that prank on him for his birthday last year. And he just shudders, but man, I don't want to have to clean those toilets again. And he just puts his arms up in a somewhat fetal position to comfort himself. And he just once again shudders. It's just I can't go back to that, man. I can't. One day. And when you're no there, one asked you, Ramirez. <laughs> he's having his while he's having he's having his little fit. I just smack him on the back. I'm like, I don't know anything about that. Uh, yeah, so that evening before we headed out, the captain said he wanted to see us in the morning. So, Officer Quinn briefly looks at you, Friedrich. Looks at uh, Officer yeah. Dawes. We should probably looks, get going before he does. Looks at that. you. Officer Dawes speaks up. Alrighty, let's head to the chief's office. And as you, Friedrich, and Officer Dawes lead the way, Officer Quinn tagging behind you guys just mutters to himself, what are we about to get into? So to give a little bit of context here, Friedrich, you haven't been here at the Styx precinct for very long. I'd say about, eh, how long would you say Friedrich has been working here? Probably a couple months or so. Yeah, we'll go with a couple months. To give a little bit of context to the good old chief, outside of his door, obviously in, plastered in that typical font style and stickering that comes with any major position of power in a police precinct and faded wording on the door is says chief of police mason berthold so chief berthold is a very nicely i want to say he's built he is keeping in shape despite his older age and from what you know friedrich in this limited time that you've been here He's a very kind-hearted guy. He is essentially like the priest. He's the like fun uncle to all the police officers here. He runs a tight ship, but it doesn't feel oppressive and it doesn't feel like a hostile work environment. And he treats every individual with the respect and the love that he, they need in whatever form that takes. Firm but fair firm but fair that is his motto so as the two of you actually no as the three of you enter in the office you've been here before Friedrich and as you knock Chief Berthold says ah come in and as you swing open the door again this isn't your first time that you visited in his office but it never ceases to amaze you that he has an eye for very 
Grecian and kind of mythological aspects of Greece. There's pot. There's a black and gold pottery kind of depicting the story of Hercules on one. He has a couple of murals of different interpretations of Greek gods and goddesses. His desk is wooden, but it is carved in the pattern of kind of like traditional artisans of ancient Greece, like that curve and stone woodworking with the lining on the edges. And on his desk is just a typical thing that you see for most police chiefs. He has a stack of folders, manila envelopes, the bane of everybody's existence. He has a nice little abacus. He has a couple of picture frames, but he also has a what he calls his pride and joy, which is like a small little onyx cube that also has similar markings to match what is engraved on his desk. And as he looks up with his glasses, adjusting as he hears the sound of the door open, he says, ah, just the three I want to see. Come in, have a seat. I just step, uh, step up to the, the desk. Uh, is there three seats, one for each of us, or is it just like typical, like two seats? There's the typical two seats. And then tucked away in the corner, he has like a standard, like wooden chair. Just very simplistic. It, it sticks out like a sore thumb with all the decor and the plant life in chief Berthold's office but he keeps it there in case more than two are there and so officer quinn just grabs it and being the taller of the three of you just sits behind you two as you make your way to your seats chief Berthold looks at you friedrich and to officer Dawes and officer quinn as well did you three have a good time last night it was different, that's for sure. Well, like I always say, you need to learn to enjoy the finer things of life. What's You can't go through life and work all of it. You gotta learn to have a little play once in a while. And, uh, and what was that old English saying? All work and no play makes for a dull man, I believe. That is correct. And he just... Even the slightest of a chuckle for Chief... Berthold is catches off catches anyone who's not used to his presence off guard as even the slightest chuckle comes off with this big booming effect and heartiness to his chuckle. Now when he gets to laughing, imagine that and multiply that and amplify that noise level by 10. So as he winds down from his chuckling, he just looks at the three of you and smiles and says, That's good. I'm glad that you have a good time last night. Now, the reason I ask that is because I want you three to help me out with something. You mean uh, with the case or something? Well, and Chief Berthold kind of takes off his glasses, hands gently placed underneath his chin there's a few moments of silence as he breathes in and looks at the three of you yes it is a case 
And the reason that I'm asking you three to look specifically into it is because you three were at the scene of the crime last night. Crime? He was there almost all night and not, nothing came up. What happened? Was it the, was it the stabbing? That's the thing. The victim's cause of death is a little perplexing. And it's going to take more time to have our coroner process everything. But I asked for you three because you three were at the last known whereabouts of the victim. And at this point, Chief Berthold, from his pile of manila envelopes, shuffles through them, takes out one, gently and gingerly places it, slides it forward towards you three, and opens it up. So Officer Dawes and Officer Quinn are looking over the file. Friedrich, you're doing the same for in the alley. And as you look over the case file a little bit more, you have the full report. This gentleman, his name is Darnell Fox. And the initial cause of death is some sort of cardiac arrest slash heart failure. So Darnell what? Darnell Fox is the victim's name. So the death was... The cardiac arrest? Yeah, slash heart related. As youth and Officer Dawson Quinn are finishing looking over this file, Chief Berthold's presence begins to shift and change. The jovial and carefree man that you come to know and love, you now are seeing his serious side, as he always do when it comes to matters that need to get done. He looks at you three and says, I'm assigning you three specifically to this case. One, because you were there at the last known whereabouts of the victim. But number two, something doesn't seem right with this. Looking over the file, did it say like how old the Vic was? So, just... You said younger gentleman, right? So what, probably... Late mid 20s. 20. Like, mid, late 20s. And as Chief Berthold looks at you three... I want you to close this case, take your time, and make sure that you leave no stone unturned, especially since, and he looks away for a little bit, with a momentary silence of slight worry from what you can tell, but catches your guys' gaze again and states, Especially since our good old friends at the newspaper are already somehow ahead and are ready to publish the story. I need you three to figure out what happened here. And that way we can get ahead of this and make sure that the press doesn't distort the truth too much. Chief, you can count on us, that's for sure. And... I have a pretty good idea of where we can start out. But uh, uh, since there's going to be three of us on this case, and 
now that I have my K9, I was wondering if in the garage, if there was any SUVs that are not being used at the moment. Certainly. You guys have access to our patrol cars, but since you're going to be transporting a lot more people, especially your little friends, Friedrich, you may want to take the SUV so that way all of you guys can fit in one car. Uh, Chief, if there's no more to say, I say we should go ahead and start getting start getting uh, started on this case. One more thing, Friedrich. Yes, sir. He looks at you, just gives you a faint little smile. Remember, not everything is as it seems. And remember, you're not alone in this, Friedrich. Trust your instincts, but more importantly, trust your friends, both the officers and your little group. And don't worry, I'll make sure to take care of Mr. O'Reilly and Mac as well to make sure that no conflicts of interest keep them from helping you out. Of course, sir. And with this, he snaps to attention and gives uh, the chief a, uh, a salute. Captain Berthold at this point stands up. Very towering individual. Friedrich, you're a very tall individual, but Captain Berthold is quite tall and largely built, but keeps in shape, as I mentioned before. So now you get more of his defining features, kind of salt and pepper gray hair, which also match on his forearms with salt and pepper colored arm hair. And his beard that he had growing, now you can see its full length as he stands up and returns that salute to you. Gives you a wink, just smiles, and you and the police officer squad, along with your canine, get into the SUV and make your way out of the police garage. Officer Doss is at the wheel because of the three of you, she's the best driver. And in case shit goes down, as scary as her driving can be, she is the she has the better track record when it comes to speeding through these streets. So she looks back at you, Friedrich, as you're in the second row behind the driver and passenger seats in the front. So who are we picking up first? So just kind of going over the over the incident report. I think we should probably. Oh, God, I can't remember y'all's names. Mac and Corey. <laughs> Corey. Oh, my God. Why was that so hard to remember? <laughs> I, I, I think it's a rare name. There's not a lot of Corys in the world. That's why. Probably. It's what, Corey O'Reilly? Correct? Yep. Yep. First, I think we should go pick up Mr. O'Reilly. He might know something that we don't. He may be retired from what I hear, but I hear he still keeps an air out for odd going on. Officer Dawes just... You can't necessarily see since she's facing away from you, Friedrich, but you can feel the eye roll that comes from it. And she just, tilting her head behind her shoulder, says, you gotta tell me exactly how the 
Corey O'Reilly, but at this point, if he can offer any help, I don't care, but you're going to fill me in later. It's either we pick up Mr. O'Reilly now, or first we head over to the coroners to see if there's any updates. But we know how um, a friend over here, and I just reach up and just nudge uh, Quinn's shoulder, we know how crazy he gets around bodies. Again, he shudders and just says, It's not that I'd... Officer Quinn says, I don't have a problem with bodies, it's just... It's just really cold in there, man. And I don't do well with the cold. All right, Officer Dawes says, let's go get, oh, let's go get O'Reilly. And then let's figure it out. And with the pedal of the metal, just you hear the screeching of the tires as you hold on for dear life as Officer Dawes weaves and bobs in these streets out here as she races her way to the residence of Corey O'Reilly. I also forgot to to ask, are we still in uniform or did we switch out to plain clothes for this investigation? You are currently in your police uniforms. If you want to change out at some point, I will say that you each have your bag of street clothes to blend in if necessary, but you three are in your uniform. And obviously, since you're in a police SUV, the Payne Town police emblem is plastered all over this thing. And it looks like... I didn't know if we were in a marked or unmarked uh, unmarked SUV, so that's that's why I was asking. Yeah, there were a couple of things that happened in Payne Town a couple years ago, so that kind of changed the structure of how the police work in Payne Town. It's been for the better, but yeah, so you guys are in a marked car, and you're in your uniforms, but you have your stuff if you want to change into your streetwear to blend in if the time comes for it. Okay. But yeah. The camera cuts from Officer Dawes pulling a need for speed in these streets. And the camera quickly falls behind, pushes past the car, where it goes back to the... Actually, you know what? Uh, Corey, are you still at home at this point? (laughs) He's looking over those files he got at the current moment at home. So I'll say at this point, your daughters are at school at this point. <laughs> they left at least for school. We, Yes, expensive school. That's why. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are they at a private school? Dang. Corey, He's be rolling. So why not? <laughs> Alrighty. So, Corey, as you're looking over the files, Isabel does her best when it comes to info brokering. And normally she has some good stuff for you, but as of late, things in Pain Town are dull and normal in a sense. So a lot of the stuff that you're looking over is not that interesting. It's just like a couple of squabbles here and there of local businesses fighting. There, for some reason, is a turf war going on between like the proponents of the sushi bar and a diner next to each other fighting over customers and things like that. 
some minor property damage. And while it's not necessarily a job, you're interested to see that the Aurora Glassworking Factory in the district where all the construction happens and all that is named on here, which is odd since that factory has been out of business for quite some time. He's going to put that, compared to everything else, he's going to put that like in a separate area. Got to look into this. As you take that mental note and get it memorized, outside in the front of your house, you hear the squealing of some tires coming to a massive stop skidding in the front of your house. O'Reilly goes back upstairs and gets to the front door and has the bat ready. So just as a flavor thing, what is Corey currently wearing at this point? I throw up his slippers. I wish, but no, he's just wearing a... He's wearing a regular t-shirt with some sweatpants. This is... He doesn't have to dress up, he's just relaxing. Okay. I'm going to say this, he he does not wear socks when he's at home. I love it. Alright, so, Corey, you open the front door with your bat in hand. You see the all-too-familiar sight of the Paintown Police Department with the windows still rolled up, and as you get closer to inspect, like a healthy kind of like midway distance between, you're like in the middle between the front door and the car on the street, so you're like halfway up your driveway. When the window rolls down and just hearing from the driver's side, you see a familiar Officer Quinn in the passenger seat with his head in one of those brown throw-up bags that airplanes have, except he's a brown and you just hear him hurling. And in the driver's seat, Officer Dawes in all of her glory, and she just shouts from the driver's side to you, Corey, get in, loser, we're going investigating. In the meantime, Quinn's still there just... <laughs> Friedrich, you're in the back, like, saying some sort of chant or prayer in German, because <laughs> as much as you love Officer Dawes, she needs to stop the need for speed. Why did Why you call me carrots? first? Why am I always throwing up carrots? Why is it carrots? <laughs> carrots? Why is it always carrots? I don't remember eating carrots. <laughs> good morning, Mr. O'Reilly. Uh, yes, we were the called, but uh, something... Uh, it called? I, I would have called, but due to a couple of tight turns, I almost lost my phone, so... I'll be with you guys. Let me get changed first. As he goes back inside real quick. <laughs> I, I, I can just... I can hear him just, like, mumbling to himself as he walks back inside and then just, boom, slams the door. Oh, oh no, he's not. He's just He just slips out of sight and closes the door quietly. <laughs> oh, so I was like, uh, clunk. <laughs> As he, as somehow, just a minute later, like magic, he's just in in a full suit with a tie already tied on, and he's just walking back out. Okay, let's go. I still have no idea how he does that. Alrighty. Let me put it this way: it's been years of training. Understandable. What's what are we investigating? As he just gets in. There, there, 
seems to have uh, been some Etsy. It's a jazz club. I keep forgetting the name, but I'm pretty sure you remember it. Oh. And I can't <laughs> Thinks about it. I think I know what you're talking about. Yes, apparently, apparently there was a death there last night. So I know you. Uh, even though you're, I can't do the air quotations. Retired. I know you. You still keep your ear to the ground. So I'm sure yes. if anybody knows about anything, it'll definitely be you, my hair. Except for the normal things happening. Well, less chaotic things. I did hear one thing which might tie into this, but we'll have to we'll have to get everyone and see what actually happened before I will just go off with my hunch. So then, I guess we just need to go and pick up Mac, yeah. Yep. And Dot, please keep this thing under ninety. No <laughs> promises. Buckle. She puts down her shades. Buckle up, kids. We. I can get us there in 10 minutes flat. It's a 45 minute try. To be fair, I used to be fair back in my day, I used to get there in five minutes. Challenge accepted. And she, before you guys have a chance to respond to anything, the oh, vehicle forward and just takes <laughs> off like a rocket. <laughs> Compared the to the other two, O'Reilly's just like relaxing. She's just yeah. sitting there, I'm, where I'm in the middle, I'm still just wobbling side to side every time she takes a turn or goes around a vehicle. But I've just got that face, I'm just tired of all this. Like, he's used to it, but he's still sick of it. Poor Quinn, man. He didn't sign up Poor for Quinn. this, but he loves you guys too much to, to not <laughs> say no. Alrighty. The camera, once again, catches up to the speeding vehicle and pushes past it to end up before you guys at the construction site of the coming Fortuna Mall. Mac, you had just entered the site and as you are about to clock in for the day, your kind of mind and your thought process going over in your head what you need to get done today is momentarily interrupted by the sound of tires just skidding across the pavement as you hear a vehicle just a couple of seconds of tire screeching behind you at the entrance of the construction site. Slowly turns, looks behind him. O'Reilly puts his body halfway throughout out the window. Hey! Nice to see you there, Mr. O'Reilly. You're, you're riding in the cop car. That's you're, you're in the SUV. Are you willingly in the SUV? Are you being detained? Are you being detained there, Mr. O'Reilly? Frederick's with me. I'm good. Believe it or not, he's not detained. Okay. There's like did he in the run car. away though? That's the question I have to ask. No, did he run away from you? Because you're marked. Just asking. Surprisingly, no. He was actually really nice. Oh, okay. That, that that's a good thing to know about. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I know I have a reputation. But... Those two are just chattering back and forth. I sit back down. I actually step out of the SUV. Mac, can you can you come here real quick, please? Yeah, sure. No problem. I can come. I can get the run. You need me to. Starts walking over to you. I made him halfway. Mac, we might need your help with something. Uh, we got a interesting case 
this morning. There was a uh, very suspicious death at the jazz club, and there's just something not right about it. I was, want uh, I was wanting to ask if you can come with us, help us investigate it. Yeah, there's... I'm gonna have to talk to the boss so I can get the time off, so I'll be right, All right. back. I, I can't kind of outstretch my arms if you need to. I can go and uh, go with you, so he knows he's, uh, you're not bullshitting him. You know don't you can get me to do that. Don't don't take it the wrong way, Mister Fra, Mister Officer, Sir, Man, Officer. But uh, <laughs> if I go walking in with a police officer by my side and he goes, "He's all right. He's coming with me." It's not going to look good for my boss if if you're sitting there saying I need to take him for a while. So I don't don't take it personal, but I'll do it on my own if you don't mind. Is it better That's than what I go, then? What was that, Mr. O'Reilly? I, I, I could, what was that? Is it better than I go, then? Oh, it's a good idea I to just have a guy in a suit come into a lot of I can do this on my own. I'm a big boy. I can do it on my own. Don't worry about okay. it. Okay, good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I just walked back to the SUV. And as Mac is walking to, to uh, Tony's office, he's sitting there going... He's counting seats in his head in the SUV, going, there's a driver, there's a passenger, one, two, three. He goes, all right, I guess I'm riding in the trunk. <laughs> I can turn around. So there's actually enough room in here, so don't worry. All right. So, so he's got to go convince Tony now. Yeah. So Friedrich and O'Reilly, <laughs> you guys just hang out with Dawes, Quinn, and Cerberus as the five of you are just chilling in the vehicle. Meanwhile... Right. Before he goes into the office, I just call, I kind of holler out jokingly, just, if he doesn't give you the time off, tell him we have a warrant for his arrest. Oh, you guys should have it now, but that? you guys got no evidence against him. What was that, Mac? <laughs> like, could I use that, though? So, uh, yeah, they say I need to go, or one of us is getting arrested. I don't know which one. <laughs> in your back pocket for now. As right, you formulate a backup plan in case it doesn't work out in your initial <laughs> plan. Sure enough, you go to the all too familiar white temporary trailer most construction sites have. It's more of a portable, more than an actual like trailer office kind of thing. But as you walk up the ramp and you open the door, once again, you are greeted with your boss and one Mr. Tony. This time, instead of the red tracksuit that he was wearing the day before, this one is a nice, like, cerulean blue one. It's still gaudy as all hell. And it doesn't help that he's wearing, like, the stereotypical, like, fedora hat to go with the getup. But as you walk in, Tony turns to your direction after hearing the sound of the door, recognizes it's you, Mac, and is like, Hey, Mac, wh what brings you in my office today? I got some good news and I got some bad news. Which one to hear first? You know what? Uh, I'm feeling good today. Why don't you tell me the good news? Of all the bosses I've had named Tony, you're easily my favorite one. <laughs> Normally, when someone receives a compliment, Mac, you're used to them being like, oh, thank you. No, that can't be true. But I appreciate it. Tony is so full of shit and he is full of himself. His ego is as big as the size of the sun. He's just a course on, it's like, of course I'm the best boss. <laughs> so here's the bad news. I'm going mm -hmm. to need a little bit of time off. Don't, it, it's for personal reasons. Tony, smarmy, jovial demeanor. 
disappears and a more serious side we could starts to come out one that you have seen before mac tony is how do we put this nicely he's a bit two-faced and his personalities are like on so opposite on the extreme there's no middle ground he's either super happy super full of himself or what you are starting to understand is that good old rough and tumble personality is starting to come out. Tony slowly walks up to you, Mac, and just says, I don't pay you the big bucks to take time off. Yes, you're my best worker, but I need you today, Mac. Just I understand that. I do understand that. I need time <coughs> off, and remember, your trailer is mobile, and I drive the big truck, so it can go places without you knowing where I put it, and I'm not going to tell you where I put it. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. Don't think I won't. I'm so tempted to hit that, just hit the squelch on the, the vehicle. Ryan's just watching, like, you just, people can just say my name and stuff happen. It's weird. <laughs> All we gotta do is just t- touch the spot and people listen. I know. And don't forget, Tony, I can walk out of here today and get another job at another construction company anywhere in town. Don't think I won't. Tony gets a little agitated. Actually, he gets a little more agitated than he was a couple seconds ago after mentioning that. <laughs> Tony gets in your personal space, Mac. He's shorter than you. He only comes up to, like, right about your sternum area right here in the center of your chest. But like in a good old fashion movie, the finger just starts to poke your chest and says, you wouldn't dare. Okay. In the meantime, I'm just kind of, I'm going to hit the button. All right, so I'm going to try to convince him by using the the power tags, charming, diffuse attention, and likable, and take the weakness tag of seeing red, because somebody's poking me in the middle of the chest. Okay. So, that balances out to a plus two yep and all right go for the roll so let's see what happens uh seven okay so that is a soft success with some complications Ooh, i got it so mac you're able to convince as you continue talking with tony tony is in your personal space and you are able to convince him with your words. However, as you try to remain calm and as you are trying to diffuse the situation as best as you can, inside of your chest and in the back of your mind, you just feel this primal energy begin to slowly creep its way to the center of your chest and you can feel and you can feel it coursing through your body as you are talking to tony your vision begins to blur just a tiny bit and you're still able to make out tony but as you are looking and centering yourself and Mac, you're talking with your hands. 
as you're talking with your hands, you notice that your arm hair, as well as the hair on your hands and knuckles, are starting to darken a little bit more and grow a little bit thicker and longer than you are used to. And for a brief moment, your vision kind of caves in a little bit to where you no longer see Tony. But then in the blink of an eye, you're able to bring it back. However, that arm hair is still there. And as you feel the top of your head, while they have been fully grown past the surface of your scalp, you feel two bone-like structures begin to peer their heads at top of them. So your complication is while you were able to keep your emotions in check this time, the fur and the antlers have now begun to grow. And if you get pushed emotionally, that wild side is going to take over. So you're on the precipice of going full wild child. Politely looks at him and says, take a much further time off. But fair warning for future reference. Don't poke people in the chest if they're about a foot taller than you. Because that finger may go disappearing. And I don't promise you where I'm going to put it when I'm done with it. Tony kind of just laughs, shrugs it off. is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... And as you're about to leave, Mac, Tony just says, just make sure that you fill out the proper paperwork later. Give it to me. We'll take care of it. But go ahead and do what you need to do and just get out of here. All right. See you on the flip side then. He walks all to the, the SUV. I got the time off, guys. Yeah. So, I think you might need a little. Oh, I knew you would get the time off. <laughs> Corey knowing, doesn't know Frederick is awakened yet. Just like does like a shaving motion on the arm. You might need to do that soon. I don't know about it. It, it, it It's nice. It's not bad. It's beautiful, my friend. But, you know, what, what, he points at Frederick. Not, he points at Frederick. He can't see. What, what time of year is it, Mikey? I think we established that it's like the springtime at this okay. point. <laughs> Alright, in that case, I may be shaving my arms, because once summer hits, I'm just going to be boiling myself with oh, my own God, hair. Okay. Yeah, that's that, that. That sunscreen <laughs> doesn't go on. I'm a pasty guy. There's no way around it. I'm a pasty man. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, Mac, as you're having this conversation oh. with Corey and Friedrich, the la- as you get into the car... But before Officer Dawes goes fast and furious on this, you contemplate looking at the, for all intents and purposes, we're going to say this, looking at the fur on your forearms and on your hands and just feeling the beginning stages of your antlers coming in. You reflect on a lot of things, but more importantly, You reflect on why you were given this power and why every time your emotions are out of alignment that you you react this way. And as you are contemplating it, the last thing we get before Officer Dawes takes off 
in a very low and growly tone, you just hear, excuse me, you hear a voice in the back of your mind just say, Slowly nods. Doesn't say a word because he heard it in his head, but he's thinking about it. Hey, hey, Mac. Yeah, Mr. O'Reilly. Well, he looks like Frederick. He's not going to hear a word of this because I've experienced this so much now. My daughter had another vision. Another one? About a figure in a nice suit holding a chalice behind a tower while it was raining blood, I believe. I do not like this future coming. I'm going to say this now with that prediction. That seems a little intense. Just a, a scorch. A tiny bit intense. I, I, I'm kind of sad that Frederick can't hear any of this. Frederick, you hear any of what we just said? It's gonna be no. Trust me. I've, I've, I've said you? that... I've said magical shit. I've said magical things all around him before, and he's never heard a word of it. He's not gonna magically now. I, I I reach over and I tap him on the shoulder. I'm like, Frederick, you hear what we were saying? I'm sorry. I, I... You're gonna have to repeat that for us, Josh. <laughs> I think I heard what you're saying, but I'm just trying to read the case we're on. Slowly <laughs> looking back over at you, at O'Reilly goes, "All right, I feel what you're saying. He did hear us." Yeah, you did hear. <laughs> so, Friedrich, as you half glance behind your shoulders and you're answering uh, Max's question, you <coughs> notice that Max's forearms and his hands are a, a little more hairier than that of five minutes ago. With that little escapade out of the way, Officer Dawes looks at you, Friedrich, and also eyes you, uh, Corey, and Mac, and looks back at you, Friedrich. All right, so to the coroner's office, I'm assuming. When's gonna hate it? But yeah, yes, it's, let's make our way to the coroner's office. And does I'm being serious this time. Ease up on the ease up on the speed a little bit. That way we have some extra time to run over these files with these two. To be, to be fair, she would be a great drag racer. I'm going to say that now. Thank you, anybody. You can't get there in 10 minutes. Yeah. No, shut up. Double or nothing if it's seven and under. <laughs> no! <laughs> I just feel like a hold on to the, the, the driver and the, the passenger seat. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so, like, having a full-on SpongeBob moment, the officer dies, floors it, and... The vehicle once again <laughs> just as we're flying through i just look over towards mac and uh have cory be like i hate you too cory cory's absolutely fine it's like the speed doesn't face him because sturdy this the speed doesn't affect friedrich either but it's just the fact that we're in a pretty decently populated city and somebody is driving a five six and a half ton vehicle at 90 miles an hour is a little offsetting. Yeah. But we'll oh, survive. perfectly fine. She's doing all right. Don't worry about it. She's doing just fine. This is why I said right. I'm bumming with the baby stroller and they're all in the shit. What was that? That would be a Mazda. She's fine. Keep going. I wonder what would happen if, if we gave her just a motorcycle. I want to see this. 
Unfortunately, our policing doesn't have motorcycle cops. It's like hint. It's like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyways, as we're uh, as we're making our way to the coroner's office, I just give them like a the rundown of the the case that we're working on. I'm showing them the the file that the chief gave us. Okay. Your reading glasses and starts reading it. Does that name mean anything to you, uh, Herr O'Reilly? I'm gonna have to roll for this. So this would be wave the trade, absolutely. So I'm gonna see if I can add anything to this. I don't think I can. Oh wait, hey, I got a personal laptop, don't we? Don't I? Or like a PDA? So um, we decided with the laptop because we're in the current day and PDAs are a little outdated in this day well, and age. Well, PDA is in a tablet or something. Personal displays of affection. Got it. <laughs> I'm going to do wave the trade. While he's doing that, can I get on the laptop and look up the the name Darnell Fox, see if anything comes up. The other part of this they want to do is contacts everywhere. He just purred out. I'm just imagining Corey pulling out the burner phone. <laughs> just like, yeah. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Because... Friedrich is somewhat assisting you by looking up on his laptop and you have your plus two. Friedrich helping you, I will say, adds another plus one since he's helping you. So now you have a plus three. So go for it, Corey. That's a nine. Okay. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. If I rolled a two, it would have it would have been better. But the <laughs> one the one rolled on the one. So with a nine, that is a soft success, but it's going to add some complications to it. Oh, no. So, Cor between you, Corey, and you, Friedrich, the two of you are able to act. Well, Friedrich, you're able to access the file that you guys were given from Chief Berthold. And Corey, you're able to use your network, per se, to get information. So you are able to find out that the victim of this case, Darnell Fox, what was already in the actual physical file, that he was in his mid-20s, young man, died of unexplained heart failure. But other than that, any other information you find is very mundane. It's like the equivalent of that one friend you have on Facebook, if you still use Facebook, that just posts pictures of like food and like read and like just posts like quotes from movies and stuff like that. Like very boring. Nothing to actually give you a more finer detail of who this person was. And on top of that, <coughs> the complication with that is, is that, yeah. He was just so ordinary that it actually makes it harder for you to pin down locations. So the only way you're going to get a better understanding of who Darnell was is you're going to need to investigate his last known whereabouts and also what the coroner has to say in order to start piecing together his last movements and get a better sense of who he was. That, that was my plan. In this this is the most ordinary person you ever meet. Are you kidding me? In this place, of all places. 
Now, never know, we might find something out later on. Right now, we might just be, you know, giving a speed bump or something. I know, There but... are like 30 Dardell foxes in the town. But don't you worry, but we'll, I'm sure we'll find out some more things once we uh, reach the coroner's office. Yeah, but for, yeah, but I literally have jukebox fairies in my bar, and Frederick still doesn't know anything about these things. Okay. Well, Wait, how you heard that. Wait, you heard what I just said. Repeat to yep. me what I said. What's the jukebox fairies? When the hell did you start seeing these things? I just kind of turn, look into the, the back of the SUV where Cerberus is just lying down, lying down, looking up at us like, hi. Funny enough, Cerberus is like nuzzling up to Mac <laughs> and just chilling and lay, putting his head on Mac's lap. I, I, I turn back to look at Vinny. Oh, there he is. So yes, uh, he's just much, chilling with Mac. How far are we from Sikona's office? Oh, I just thought is of it? something. He, the dog is, is chilling it, with Mac. He's relaxing on Cole. He's thinking about shooting some b-ball upside the school. So <laughs> Thank wait. you. I'll be here all week. So <laughs> wait, everyone in this car can see through the mist, right? I'm pretty sure Quinn's turning around. Quinn, so, doesn't, under, no, Quinn doesn't hear any of this. That's the best part about this. You're like whispering in a hushed tone. But before you can say any more, Corey, from the mirror, you just see Officer Dawes kind of glint her sunglasses down a little bit on her nose till you see her eyes and in the mirror you see her hazel brown eyes turn a bright orange and you notice the mandala pattern in it and she just shakes her head no we'll talk about this later and then the eyes go back to their normal hazel brown color and she pushes her sunglasses back up with that the car once again comes to a screeching halt <laughs> and you guys are now in front of the coroner's office. So, just like most police precincts, some are very lucky in Paintown to have their coroner's office like adjacent or nearby the precinct. Yeah, the Sticks Avenue precinct doesn't get that luxury because it is one of the oldest and so therefore its corner office is like halfway downtown but as you step out of the vehicle as officer dawes is putting in coins for the parking meter on the side of the street <laughs> you three along with cerberus take a look at this building it is showing Good. its age it is you, the paint is starting to chip on the outside. It looks like it hasn't had any renovations in like years and years. Like the way that the paint is chipping, it's, it's kind of like a iron skillet when you're cooking after years and years of use where it's just you, you can see the wear and tear from various things like old age. You see some bullet holes that haven't been filled in yet. Like the some of the windows, like one of the window panes is like still there, but part of it is like duct taped with a plastic bag because someone threw a rock through it recently. And the door is just all rusted and everything. <laughs> and as you take a look at this, the three of you just taking the scene, 
Officer Dawes comes up next to you and says, Bear warning, Dr. Winthrop, he is a nice man, but he's a bit of a character. So just mind your P's and Q's and uh, we will get through this together. You know, I'm scared of you people more than my own people. <laughs> it's easier if I show you. I don't want to say you should be afraid of Dr. Winthrop, but just find your P's and Q's and we'll be fine. He is a character. Also, is Cerberus walking in with us or are we keep keeping him in the car? That is your call, Friedrich, because he is your dog. I think for the time being, since it's a modern SUV, it's got those uh, buttons to where the door will automatically pop open if I need them. So... He's got his fan going. He's got him some water in there. I, I think he'll be okay in, in the vehicle. Also, I want to ask you two guys. I'm setting up a potluck. Do you guys want to come? I just like, look around at Dawson okay. Queens. Yeah. I'm, I'm planning to do it in about two weeks. Yeah, sure, I'll be there. Be. Sam, I don't have anything to do. And these two characters say I should get... You, you just hear Officer Quinn be like, Uh, can we come? If you want to, sure. Officer Parker's going to join as well. <gasps> Yay! Quinn's, as soon as you mention Officer Parker, Quinn just gets quiet and he gets all giddy. And you swear that you see him blushing just a tiny bit. <laughs> Officer Dawes just looks at Quinn and just silently just pinching the bridge of her nose and just <laughs> takes a deep breath in. It's been a while since we've been to one of these things. I'll make sure to I'll make sure to bring the curry and don't worry. I have gotten better, Corey, so I am not going to burn it like last time. We will see. Actually, it's not not that bad. Uh, she, uh, she brought some uh, Christmas dinner, wasn't it? Or was it? Yeah, I've gotten better. And at this point, you guys continue to have this conversation as you are You're just casually having a conversation outside of a coroner's office. <laughs> you continue to have this conversation as you walk in. While the outside is degrading and like it's showing its wear and tear, the inside is also showing similar wear and tear, but surprisingly it is clean. It is organized. And in front, you see a little desk with a very petite woman just typing away on the computer. And she notices you guys. And then Friedrich, you, Officer Dawes, and Officer Quinn know this receptionist as Wendy. So Wendy is an older lady. She is dressed in a nice little black and white polka dot number with kind of a red bow around the waistline. She has a similar color bow in her hair. Older, early 50s, early to mid 50s. And despite her age, she still has the nice blonde hair going on, but it's starting to show a little bit of gray and white in it. And in her brightly colored red frames she looks at you all and says specifically looking at you friedrich and says oh sweetie as she gets up 
from behind her desk, gives you a little side hug. Friedrich, what can I do for you? Oh, good morning, Wendy. It's always a pleasure to see you. Oh, it's so chipper. You gotta lighten up the mood a little bit. I do work in a coroner's office. Death and destruction all the time. I understand, I understand. Um, we're actually here to uh, see uh, Dr. Winthrop. Is he in at the moment? Yes, he is. He's doing one of his, uh, and she uses air quotes when she says this. She, He's uh, in the middle of working on one of his science experiments, but I will, I'll buzz you in and let him know that you're on your ways. Thank you much, Wendy. You, you have a great day. You too, sweetie. I know what to do with the place. <laughs> <laughs> so as you guys make your way through the back door, you just hear Wendy over the intercom after buzzing. <laughs> Dr. Winthrop, you have some visitors here. So stop your experiments and talk to them, please. And make sure that you take out the trash. I don't want to do it like I did yesterday. We talked about this and... As you guys continue further down the hallway and make your way down the stairs, the atmosphere grows, uh, I don't want to say darker in a sense, but the lighting as you head down these flight of stairs begins to dim and grow dimmer and dimmer for each It grows flight. colder, so to speak. A little bit. Why is this like a horror movie? Well, we are in a corner's office. Yes. That does not mean that we have to have theming lights. I'm perfectly fine. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I'm all right. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. He's here. I'm fine. Oh, it's just way. weird. It's like, Mac, you just... It's getting colder for you. You guys can start seeing your breath a little bit. But, Mac, you, you feel a little sense of warmth only because you still have your fur on your arms and hands and then a little bit of the chest area. So technically you have your own coat at this moment, even if it's just a tiny bit. But as you guys continue down the stairwell, you finally get to a long singular hallway where all it is brick and mortar to the left and right of the hallway with a single decrepit and cane wooden door at the far end of the hallway and as you guys take in the sight now this is like a horror movie from behind the door you just see flashes of light and a silhouette of a figure just maniacally laughing it's like success I have finally done it it's alive! Are you are we seriously about to meet Mr. Frankenstein? It <laughs> does act like it sometimes. And then I remember, oh, it's getting colder now. Oh, Quinn, how are you doing? As you say that, and you turn to Quinn, Quinn is just... A little bit of color has drained from his face. He looks at you, Friedrich. He's, yeah, I'm hanging in there. I'm fine. As he's saying this, though, his head is just shaking no. And, like, it's a physical reaction of his body. Like, his mind is telling him no, but his body is saying, we need to get out of here. Fan, if you want, you can go and uh, wait in the lobby for us. It's okay. I knew what I, I signed I, up I, for. I literally just do that, like, authoritative finger, just pointing to back up the stairs. Go wait in the lobby. I don't need you catch pneumonia on us. 
and as he be- turns around and begin walking up the stairs, Friedrich, it's a little bit disconcerting, and you're trying to figure out exactly what Officer Quinn says, but as he walks his way up the stairs, just faintly for you to hear, Quinn stops momentarily at the base of the steps, turns to the group with you guys not looking, is about to say something, becomes dejected and stops from saying anything at all, and underneath his breath, but Friedrich, since you're towards the stairs the closest, you just hear Officer Quinn state, I'm sorry, and he begins walking up the stairs. I commend the... I commend the man for coming this far. Yes. Like I said, I just don't want him to catch pneumonia or something because it's cold and... To be fair, fair, that's why I bought these suits. They're multi-purpose, actually. It actually looks quite nice. So wait a second, are we running a risk of pneumonia? You've got... your fur. I've got this suit. I don't know about everyone else, but I think we're fine. Well, just making sure. I didn't really care. I just figured I'd ask. <laughs> I just don't really care. I just have to ask. Alright. So who's gonna interrupt Mr. Frankenstein? I refuse to call him by his actual name because you're telling me that isn't a Frankenstein... <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein right there. You're telling me that it's not him right in there. I guess I'll go and talk, talk to him first. <laughs> Expect him to be passed out on the floor from his own creation. How are you this morning? So you just walk on in? <laughs> yeah, because he's... Apparently, just off doing one of his experiments again. So I'm just like, I've, you know, quite literally, I've probably seen him do this before. Okay. So, you open the door, and before you get a chance to finish your sentence, saying, Dr. Winthrop, how are you? Before you can get that last word out, I want you, Friedrich. I Uh-oh. want you. To, I want you to. So you're gonna roll for me, and I am going to have you face danger on this one. Oh <laughs> lord! I, I would. This is. I'm gonna use a juice to help him by transforming the wooden ring around his hand into a table to protect him. The dining room table. The dining room table shield. <laughs> okay. Since I, can't, since I can't turn it into any weapons, that is the best shield I can do. What kind of table well, is that? That is a bulletproof vest. I think we should be okay. <laughs> I'm going to say this. It is a thick oak table. Okay. Good choice. How's he yes. getting it through the door? I will say for narrative purposes, like... It's a shape-changing piece of wood that grows and shrinks. I think there's a way to finagle this. (laughs) I will say narratively, like, he... Corey will, like... As he just tomahawks it, and then it changes into the table and just lands in front. So... (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. So I'll say it happens. So you're spending the juice for it to happen. So, mechanically speaking, Corey, what benefit does that give to Friedrich? I think it would give him plus one to face danger. Okay. Defensively. 
we'll Not see. Real. We'll come up with that. Let's see how Friedrich does. So Friedrich, you get a plus one roll to face danger. So if you so you have a plus one from Corey and the juice. If you can figure out what other power tags you want to invoke, by all means, go for it. One thing, standard equipment, I would be wearing body armor. So at least there'd be a bit of a damper between any uh, damage I should take. Okay, so that, I will say, works. So now you're at plus two. That's right. Yep, and then you add plus two. So let's see what happens. Okay. Uh, you said plus two? That is correct. That would be a 12. Damn! <laughs> you are so lucky. Alright, so narratively, this is how it goes down. Friedrich, as you open the door, before you get a chance to finish your sentence, a spark of electricity just shoots across the lab and is coming straight for you an a la Max Payne and bullet time mode. Time begins to slow down. As you begin to brace for impact, holding onto your body armor, using his instincts, Corey throws his... You said it's in a cane currently, right? Or is it I now said, the... I said, I said it was the ring. Oh, okay, so you turned it into a ring. So you take off the ring, you chuck it, and as you're embracing for impact, Friedrich, in front of you, you see a small circular ring begin to change shape and begins to expand to a large oak table that is big enough to shield your body. As the electricity current makes contact with the table, Friedrich, you still, bracing for impact, just hear the crackling of the electricity being absorbed into the wood. And fun science fact, because wood is a natural element and it is not metallic, it does not conduct electricity. And in fact, it absorbs it and grounds it because it is not a conductor. So the spark of electricity dissipates, is absorbed into the table and you just slowly peer over Friedrich the table and just see <laughs> Dr. Winthrop just full on still with his goggles on. Look at you and says, oh, sorry about that. Got a little carried away. Uh, glad you are not uh, hurt, Friedrich. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're lucky I'm not hurt. That could have been a federal offense. Don't ever do it this time. Corey walks over grabs one of the legs of the table and then it's then it turns back to the ring that's on his finger Dr. Winthrop thank you by the way for, uh, for that uh, Mr. O'Reilly oh you're welcome to be fair I wasn't expecting a bolt of lightning in here <laughs> either time I would have expected that I would have at least knocked first Officer Dodge just pokes her head in is it safe <laughs> to go in now uh, probably not it's, I'm coming in anyways. And Officer yep. Dawes comes in. Mac, I'm assuming you follow behind her. <laughs> okay. So as the four of you walk into the room, Corey, you take the table back. It turns back into a ring. In front of you is one Dr. Winthrop. 
he's wearing a typical uniform you would see as someone who is a coroner. So they have their lab coat on and they have their gloves and their goggles on. Behind him, you just see a display of chromatic hatches lined up against the wall, which is no surprise for a morgue. Some are open, some are latched shut. But more surprisingly, all of you see that in front of him is a table. But instead of seeing a dead body, you just see Dr. Winthrop standing over with some electrical nodes and holding one in each hand. He is standing above a little tray where pinned to the surface of it is a frog. And so as he looks up at you, looks at the frog, looks up at you, he's one moment. And with the electrical nodes, they begin to whir up. You can hear and see the electrical current. Just Dr. Winthrop pokes it into the frog, especially at the connecting points of like little screws that are tied inside to each side of the frog's neck. And as they make contact point, all of you see this frog jolt up from the current and then you just begin to see it comically begin to sit up as best as a frog can and gets on its webbed feet and it begins to rib it, but it's very distorted and it's very like groggy and growly instead of the normal ribbit that you hear from a frog. And <laughs> Dr. Dr. Winthrop puts the nodes away, clasps his hands and says, ah, what a wonderful success. You're going to be very ashamed if I shoot that thing, aren't you? I would be a little disappointed, but now that I can bring it back to life, you may do. In fact, that would be a nice science experiment. Though, I don't think- I Mr. just had to in the air, Dr. Uh, snap back to reality, please. Oh, all I was going to say is that I don't think I I don't think Ivan would be too happy about it. And as you guys turn around behind you, sitting in the corner is a large hulking specimen of a man sitting in a chair in the corner. He waves his hand and instead of words, you just hear like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't going to go there. But essentially, that's what it is. <laughs> Yes, it is. He is from. Now we canonically connected this game to the Goonies. I can die happy. Is <laughs> canon. The Goonies are real. But anywho. <laughs> so as you four turn back to Dr. Winthrop, it's like, right, uh, back to reality. And just takes off his goggles. You can see that there are in his hair, it's frizzes of gray and streaks. It's like the streaks of lightning when electrical currents hit your hair and just like part of it just gets dyed when you get struck by lightning. So it's like a burn. But instead of on his skin, it's in his hair. He <laughs> is a older gentleman in his 60s. How did he survive that long? <laughs> something must be watching <laughs> over him. As a scientist, he probably has Found uh, ways I, to make sure and save himself. Corey, I'm waiting for the man to make something come back to life and just ruin his life. It's going to happen. Just watch. With that little sentiment, Dr. Winthrop takes off his goggles, looks at you, looks at the... We're going to say it. 
y'all are the Scooby gang now because <laughs> technically you have an, you have enough members. You have a dog. There is five of you. Like, basically, this is the city of Miss Scooby gang. So he looks at you, Scooby gang, and is just like, yes, I assume you are here about Mr. Fox's demise. Yes. Can you can you take us to his body, please? We don't have to go too far. Give me a moment. And so Dr. Winthrop goes towards the back of the morgue where all of those chromatic doors are. He goes to the side. So the way that the room is shaped, it's an L shaped where directly in front of you guys, you can see the morgue doors. But then there's a little caveat towards the left hand side of the room and he disappears into that caveat. But as soon as he disappeared, he reappears coming back, wheeling a cart with a sheet placed over the uh, body. He looks at you and says, now, Friedrich, I don't have to warn you because uh, you are a police officer and you are used to this kind of work. (laughs) But for the rest of you, if you haven't seen a dead body, I do want to warn you, it may not be for the faint of hearts. If you're squeamish and you don't like dead things, uh, I suggest you get off the ride right now and uh, go wait upstairs with Wendy. I think she baked some cookies today. Uh, what oh. would I do without her? Oh, I'll be fine. At the, at the school I used to go to a long time ago, I used to run track. Every time I'd run it, I would see a dead deer just at the side of the school and no one touched it or took it away. Can we go back to the fact that you said their someone had cookies? <laughs> yes! Okay, I'm calling it. That is the episode title. Someone say cookies? <laughs> Hold up, let me type this down. Sidebar. I have absolutely no problem staying down here with you guys, but if there's cookies involved, are the cookies going to be there after we're done with what we're doing? I'll make you bet. <laughs> I'm taking you up on that, Mr. O'Reilly. I'm taking you up on that. I mean, if I know anything about Bendy... She has a stockpile of cookies waiting, so... Even if the tray that was apparently up there, even if it's empty, I'm sure by the time we get up there, there's gonna be another tray. I love it. So, episode title, Is There Cookies? (laughs) Yes. No, Are There Cookies? Yes, Are There Cookies? Oh my goodness, I love it. (laughs) Alright, so... Back into uh, serious time. So... After confirming with Dr. Winthrop that the three of you are ready to see the body, Dr. Winthrop puts on his surgical kind of corners mask. So it's not the typical kind of like linen cloth ones that you see. His mask is more of a face shield type of getup as more modern corners tend to be using nowadays. Yes, I know that for a fact because I went to a morgue when I was in high school because I wanted to be a coroner. Fun fact. And I got to explore the morgue for a little bit, so it was interesting. And I can confirm this. Fun fact. My uncle actually works at a coroner's office as well. The morgue. But anyways. But as as... he's getting all of his get up on, I'm a standard procedure. I'm getting my gloves and my mask and I'm throwing one of those lab coats on as well. Okay. Of course, puts on his own type of mask as well. He's like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> so, Mac, Dr. Winthrop hands you a coat, and as you're trying to put it on, it's big man in a little coat. 
it starts to get a little hot in the coat because your fur is starting to like be suppressed underneath this extra layer of clothing. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's weird. Like it's cold in this morgue, but you're sweating profusely. That's such as life. That's the way it's <laughs> going to be, I guess. Yes, it is. I figured he'd be waiting at the door. It's like, come on, hurry up! I want cookies. I do want cookies. Let's get this. Let's get this party started so I can get my cookies. All right. Oh, man. So, all right. Anyways. Uh, Okay, so Dr. Winthrop just solemnly nods at you guys, and then Officer Dawes is also in the room with you. He slowly begins to pull the cover off, and underneath it, just like matching in the picture of the file, both the digital and physical one that you guys looked over and received, Lying on the slab is a one Darnell Fox. As you take in the sight of the body, what doesn't catch you off guard is the fact that it's a dead body. But for all of you, there is a sense of dread and a sense of melancholy as with life. It brings a joyous and a positive energy, but always it comes to an end like a candle being blown out by the wind. It's a different story when you see someone's light and their fire is just snuffed out and just remains a husk of who they used to be. So as you guys take this in, the atmosphere changes into that melancholy kind of state of mind. Officer Dawes just gets closer to the slab and underneath her breath, she says something in her language from India and then just puts her hands together and solemnly bows. Uh, May there be work for you in the afterlife, my friend. So Dr. Winthrop looks at you three well, four, actually. And he states, So, as you could surmise from your report and from the call that I got from the chief, this is Darnell Fox. He is a, or I should say he was, a 26-year-old male, and he was found outside of the washboard which is another club around the more seedier parts of Paint Town. He was found early this m- he was found early in this morning and from initial reports and my tests the cause of death for now is unexplained heart failure but I need to run additional tests to see and if I can pinpoint the exact cause of death. No stab wounds, no beating up, nothing? No, it's no external wounds. The only thing that I found once I cut him up was his heart perplexed me is the best way to put it. And... Do you please explain? Dr. Winthrop just certainly. He pulls out a file with Polaroid pictures that he took when he opened the body. 
and he points to a few pictures of Darnell's heart. Now, his heart is what you would typically find, and for someone so young, he had a pretty good heart. All the muscles were working properly. It still hasn't shown any signs of wear and tear, as most organs do when you get older. This is a typical heart of a young man in his 20s. But as Dr. Winthrop kind of points in the Polaroids, there is something that perplexes me about this. And he points to the photo. And as you guys look at the photo, that around his heart, the perplexing spot, it throws you for a loop. Because the spot that Dr. Winthrop mentions is that there seems to be a kind of black imprint around Darnell's heart. And as you take a closer look at the photo, that imprint looks eerily like the shape of a hand kind of just around it. I've seen a lot of the bodies in here, but I've never seen that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you've seen a lot of human problems. But this is somewhat my area of expertise. And even I don't know what's going on. He does get Temple of Doomed. <laughs> no, then he Kali, wouldn't have... Yeah, Ma. The whole, yeah, yeah, if so, he wouldn't have a heart if it was Temple of Doom. Of course, you're going to get tactical about it. So, yeah, fine. Not Temple of Doom. It's better to know that this man was... Put a tiny black hands on there than his whole heart's being ripped out and... No one can explain how. Those are two very separate and knowledgeable things. That's like saying getting stabbed is different than someone beating you up with a bat. Sorry? Just a... The way, there's some fucked up shit going on with this man's heart. And Dr. Winthrop is now. I, I don't want to alarm anyone, but this isn't the first person within the last couple of weeks has had this similar indentation in their heart. Couple of weeks? Excuse me, Moi? Now, don't get me wrong. I am a man of science, so I don't believe in coincidences. But I hypothesize that one incident like this is just a fluke. Two is just... A coincidence, but three... A similar occurrence, but... Three is a hypothesis, and I'm okay. putting down money that whatever ha happened to Darnell and happened to two other people within the last couple of weeks. Who are these two other people? Are those two still here, or have they already been moved on, buried, or cremated? They are still here. They are being... Plan to be picked up sh shortly in a couple of days, but I have the files if you wish to look over them. Uh, I would like to take a look at the files, and Doctor, if it's no inconvenience, I want to take a look at the other two bodies. I can provide you the autopsy photos. I've already stitched them up, but the photos still should be good if that is okay with you, Friedrich. That's fine, Doctor. Where were the other two bodies found? Let me get the reports, and you can read them for yourselves. Do you and, have a map? And 
You have a map here. I pull out my cell phone. I pull out a a map. I I go over to the map. I mark the glass factory on there, and then I and then I where it says the other bodies were found. I put mark theirs and see how far it would take from the glass factory to where the bodies replaced. Okay, so. I'm not going to make you I'm not going to make you roll for it because Dr. Winthrop is providing this information. But as you connect the well, I'll just say as you're pinning the last locations of where the bodies were found and where the distance between them and the glass factory, it's there seems to be no connecting pattern. Each of the victims come came from different walks of life, and based on the reports that you're reading simultaneously, along with pinning on the map, there doesn't seem to be a clear-cut connection between the three. I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna keep the, all those points connected to the glass factory, but I'm gonna connect each victim together as well. I'm seeing if, basically, that is the center point. The glass factory with all the bodies connected. Okay. So as you do that, there, again, the distance between and all that jazz between the last locations of where the bodies were found in the glass factory, some are closer by, some are far away. But once again, there doesn't seem to be a pattern to it. Is the glass factory in the middle, though, of all the bodies? Or is it not? It is not. So far, it looks like my lead might not be true, but it still could prove useful if we look into it in the future. Are the victims all all male? No, they are not. Okay. So, in addition... So, you have Darnell, Fox, so that's the latest victim... But the other two victims with similar handprints on their heart. So Darnell Fox was the third and latest victim. The victim before Darnell was a woman by the name of Tiffany Bancroft. And the victim before her was a young, was a older father, single father of one Adam Walsh. So uh, Adam Walsh, Corey O'Reilly, I was going to lose my mind. So Adam Walsh was the first victim. Tiffany Bancroft is the second and the most recent victim to share this commonality of the handprint on the heart is Darnell Fox. So the theory which I've come up with so far, we have a serial killer. That's all the information I have. I'm sorry, folks. But now... I mean, yes, the MO is still the same, but if it was a serial killer, it'd be one specific type of, uh... Not not really. Because, thank you, Criminal Minds! (laughs) The killing pattern, they don't always go for the same victim. This could be a silly killer who's found his way and is refining his craft, per se, for the big kill, or... It's a hired gun that's just killing people or assassinating them. 
Dr. Winthrop, was he? Are the hearts dried out or empty in any way? No. It's... How do I put this? Upon initial opening up the heart and investigating all that, obviously blood stops pumping when a person is deceased, and over time the body begins to stiffen because lack of blood, yada, science stuff. But... Like I said, the handprint was the most interesting thing. And upon taking further look, while there was no dryness to the heart, there was an impression as if something squeezed that heart and left an indentation. So the best way I could describe it, it's like a bruise, but instead of it being just on the surface, with my hands and running over through it, I felt an indentation of that, those handprints in all three victims. So it's like someone grabbed their heart and just squeezed it so it wouldn't pump. Or, just hear me out, guys. I don't think we got the serial killer. I think it's something more along the lines of a hunter of some sort. And their, their prey is these people, because... But, but here's the thing. Why these people, if it was a hunter? Why go for the normal Joe? Points points at Nick Fox in this city. Why not hunt? A hunter's all about the thrill of the kill and the hunt, correct? Always. Not always. Sometimes you're just going to try to find something that's not going to be missed. True. A single dad's going to be missed, no way around it, but... Personally, I'm thinking that... Don't call me crazy, but... It seems like a hunter. Uh, is there? Sorry, as I backtrack it, are the bodies like they are? They are spread out, no pattern. Yeah, they are spread out, no pattern, and where each body was found is different locations of Pain Town, some in more high. So as you take a look and look over the report of where each of these victims were found, Darnell was found outside of the washboard which is another local jazz lounge in the more seedier parts of paint town tiffany bancroft was found in her home outside in the hallway of her door and adam walsh died at the local funeral home so the Green Metal Funeral Home. And as you read the report more, Adam Walsh was actually at in the middle of the funeral for his wife, who recently just died as well. Okay, let's put it like this. Let's put this theoretically. What happens if Adam Walsh was the first hunt? Makes sense. I mean, if he's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, if he's going to be hunting something, but why a funeral home? That throws me off. In a house uh, or outside somewhere, that makes sense, but a funeral home, there are people everywhere there. Yeah, and on top of that, it was during a funeral, so somebody should have seen something. Let me put it this way. I'm going to take this as a grain of salt. Let's say I'm going to hunt you down and I'm a new person. Never killed a person, never did nothing. I don't know where I'm going to get the chance to find you, but I'm going to take my shot when I do. That means I might kill you 
right in front of the police station if I think I can get away. If that's the only chance I have. And I would take the shot. Now, what if somebody gets a, uh, a chance at a funeral home? Even if they were, like, outside, let's say, a smoke break or something, there'd still be plenty of people around. Of course, there's going to be people yeah. in Sepulveda. So the only thing I can think of is uh, a place where you'd be able to attack somebody without anybody else seeing would be, like, Celestrum or something. Or someone who can't see you for what you truly are. You mean, like, a ghost? And then he, as the rig transform. Or someone who can't see this happening as he, as it transforms into a cane into a bat and then back into a ring. I see what you're saying. If someone can't see that happening, are they supposed to know what they're seeing happening to them? And as he's saying this, I look over to Officer Das. Idrik, what's on your mind? Do you think we should go and investigate these places that these people were found? Maybe there's something that's... Uh, that we can find, I would, or... I would recommend searching the first one, because the criminal sometimes returns to the crime scene. Correct, yes. And... I don't know why, but I got this feeling, as you said at the map at the glass factory, this place, it's important somehow to all of this. Like, uh, maybe it like, could be like some sort of a hideout or something? Possibly. To a meeting place or something. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it could be. It's just, from all my criminal years, with the normal stuff happening here, there, like there's a turf war with a like, two restaurants. It's, don't, it's like those normal small time things. Not unlike what I used to do, but that was the only place that seemed slightly interesting. I might, I would recommend. Splitting the party, but it is a little bit dumb. So, uh, random question too: Is it how far apart were each of the bodies found, like time-wise? So Darnell was found just eh, about eight hours ago. He was found in the morning that you're currently in. Mrs. Bancroft is was found about two weeks ago. And Adam Walsh was about a month ago. So there's like a two-week span between the two of them? Like, hearing that or thinking about that, Max, call me crazy, but if three is a hypothesis, we're going to find out what the fourth one is in about two weeks, because uh, I have a funny feeling it's going to be doing it again. That's what I was thinking. It's the same thing. All right, great minds. What happens every two weeks, then? And the- you're, I would like to use one of our team tags. European knowledge. Okay. How are you going to use it in this sense? I'm going to do this for creatures or beings that have, that like some, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for helping search up what this could be for European knowledge. I'm going to I'm going to ask... Dang it, I'm forgetting her name. I really gotta stay up on my daughter's names. Ah, so you're one that is awakened, correct? Yes. <laughs> okay, so your awakened daughter is Eowyn, so... Yeah, I'm going to text Eowyn to see if she knows anything for the arcane knowledge. Okay. But then, because of my criminal background, 
I'm going to do Wave the Trade to see if there's been any hits out for these people and try to connect these dots together. Okay. That is a very interesting. So, Wave the Trade definitely works. European knowledge actually would work in this situation. And then texting your daughter would also work. So, I will allow it. Plus three. And also, that's a 10. Nice. Very, very nice. So with the 10, that is a strong success. So let's resolve these in order. We will start with your daughter. You text Eowyn about the arcane knowledge. And after a couple minutes, she texts back to you. And she, instead of texting it out, she sends you an image. And she... Send you a picture of a drawing that she just sketched out right now. And you see a ghostly visage kind of standing behind a humanoid silhouette. Though the silhouette is darkened and it has no recognizable features, so you can't tell if it is male or female. It's just like a silhouette. And standing behind that silhouette is a ghostly figure shrouded in dark cloth. Essentially, if you you Harry Potter fans out there, it looks like a Dementor. It's essentially what it looks like. Oh, no. And as you take in this image, Corey, you recognize this kind of ghostly figure. While there are many ghost tales that span across all European cultures, there's a certain type of ghosts that some cultures call it the Grim Reaper. Some cultures call it Deathbringer. But essentially, this is a ghost of death. And you will need to do more research and investigation. But you know that... This ghost of death is similar to what most cu- cultures call these as banshees. Uh, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, I'm <laughs> Goodbye. That's the, the end of the session uh, here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not hearing the call of the banshee. You guys got this. Good luck. <laughs> I've got two dollars to take care of. I'm not dying yet. Okay. Oh, crap. That would basically just leave me because... At this point, Officer Dawes grabs you, Corey, and is like, uh-uh, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're asking me to fight a literal, literal embodiment of death. Yes, I would do it in my younger days. I will not lie about this. But this is very dangerous. And I do have a family. And I'm hearing worse comes the to worse. only Coy O'Reilly backing down from a challenge? Why, mercy me, I never thought I would seize the day. I'm not backing down from a challenge. I'm oh, backing it sounds down like you're backing down from a challenge. I don't mean to be, you know, splitting hairs here with my fellow person of the Irish descent, but it honestly sounds like you're backing down from a challenge, because, let's face it, it's only a fucking banshee. So, There's worse things out there. So if you've fought banshees personally, have you met many banshees personally? You haven't met me ex-wife, have you? <laughs> yes, I have. Thank you. So when'd you meet her? 
She tried to kill me. About Fair a year enough. ago. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can see it. I can see it. So, as you guys are having this conversation, still at the bottom of the morgue, trying to figure out what your next actions are, talking about Max's ex-wife and how he almost killed Corey and all this goodness, Officer Dawes trying to gain a little bit of sanity and peace in this situation. The camera goes back up the stairs, passes by Wendy and Officer Quinn as he's enjoying the cookies. cookies. Yes, there are cookies and there's enough for everybody. But the camera pushes past the two of them and using a cinematic kind of move, as I have deemed it, the camera crosses the street of the coroner's office and starting from the sidewalk, a pair of black combat boots come into frame. And as the camera begins to pan up, we see a figure in kind of camouflage pants wearing a black hoodie with the hood up. And as the camera gets a little bit and zooms in closer to the hooded figure underneath, you see the camera catches a glimpse of a bald headed male who is covered with his neck and his face in various tattoos and is just quietly looking on at the coroner's office. This one is a banshee, isn't he? And with that, my rifts is where we're going to conclude tonight's episode of Knights of Pain Town. <laughs> now it's time for the best part about this game. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go in order. So I, we're going to start with you, Wes. So what were some of your highlights of this episode? Well, the highlights for me were the driving of Daz. That was a definite highlight. The, the I guess, Dr. Frankenstein feel. I like that a lot. I like how we ended up with the table as a shield. And I like how we just rolled with it. There's no... I like I like the fact we just rolled. We just went with the punches and tried to figure shit out. I really like that part. So that's my two cents. And cookies. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Echo, what were some of your highlights? <laughs> I hate to say this was one of my highlights, but my one of them was the whole scene with Frederick where the mic just couldn't work. It was the best part because it was like that comedic thing. Like, everyone everyone here just it's like talking over that person's back shit and he doesn't even notice. That was the best part of that. I really like the whole scene of, hey, I want time off. No. Okay. And just how that escalated. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Tony's a sleazeball. And I'm trying not to be stereotypical, but essentially he's like your total like Italian, hey, forget about it type of guy. <laughs> if he works for the... I'm going to say this. If he works for the Italian Mafia, him and Corey are not, it's not going to end well. As the story progresses, you're just going to have to tune in and wait. That just leaves you, Josh. What were some of your highlights? I gotta say the biggest highlight was the whole Friedrich playfully dissing Corey by saying, is this the legendary Corey O'Reilly backing down from a challenge? Oh, I never thought I would see the day. (laughs) And also the fact that 
Cerberus just basically just cuddled up to Mac like instantly as soon as they got in the car. To be fair, I'm not going to get into uh, too much of it because I want it to be a nice little surprise. But a Sarah Nunos does has some interesting lore behind it. So we'll just say yeah. that <laughs> really quickly as Master of Ceremonies. What were some of my highlights this episode? The entire session was a lot of fun, but if I had to pick certain parts, yeah, Officer Dawes just flooring it a la Spongebob was just hilarious. And I love that you guys rolled with it. I actually really liked how you guys handled the morning of waking up and doing whatever and just rolling with that, too. But I think probably my favorite part of this was just being able to start dropping all this information now that you're starting the case properly. Dr. Winthrop, his obviously it makes it's already said, but his mythos is Dr. Frankenstein. Wendy is a sleeper. The fact that Officer Quinn is like the only sleeper of this group of five. So poor guy is going to be like, what is going on? And I am just excited and I wasn't anticipating it, but I'm glad that you guys put your brains together and and it was thanks to Corey's role that now you guys are dealing with the Banshee. So I was just like, there we go. Now we can get this properly started. I'm going to say this. You're you're going to leave me on a false trail with this goddamn glassworks factory. Now remember, nothing that I put in this game is technically a red herring, but you never know. We just have to keep going and see what happens to us. But you'll find your answer eventually. <laughs> but that is going to conclude tonight's episode of Knights of Pain Town. To all my fellow listeners who stuck with us this episode, thank you so much for listening. And I do hope that you come back for next episode as our lovable losers, as I'm going to dub them, are going to investigate the difficulties of the deaths of the three victims who had their hearts strangled. But until then... Remember, everyone, take care of each other out there. Love one another. And from me and the cast of Knights of Pain Town and all of us here at the D&D Vibe Tribe Productions, as always, let the good times roll.